And don't worry, next week, Pastor Russ is back. I mean, he's in the building, so uh, we're, we're excited about that. Um, uh, he said he's going to come in quietly. I was like, how are you going to come in quietly? We haven't seen you in a month, you know? <laughs> uh, so we're, I'm very grateful to have him back in the pulpit next week. And so, um, but we're going to be wrapping up Titus uh, chapter 3 uh, today. So uh, let's just jump right into it. This is what uh, we're going to be reading, verses 1 to 3. So you can turn your Bibles there. It says, uh, Remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient and to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable and considerate, and always be gentle towards everyone. At one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, we being hated and hating one another. But when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, but because of his mercy. He saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal by the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ our Savior, so that having been justified by grace, we might become heirs, having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. So a few things that we should be paying attention to. You know, uh, we've been, this is the third week. We're at the end of the book of Titus. And, uh, you know, we've been kind of going through this uh, time of Titus, a, a young Greek disciple of Paul who has uh, been given the task to kind of form the church of Crete to, to help it be organized. And, um, you know, the first chapter was all about him finding individuals who were showing evidence of God working within their life. And, and we were learning about the fact that God wants to work in every part of our life. In every section of our life, God wants to be Lord over those things. And that he's transforming us. He's maturing us to grow up in our faith. Not to stay just settled in where we're at and, and good enough. But, to, to, but we're called to continue to grow and to be called to be uh, for some elders, some deacons, some are just called to just simply be mature believers in, in Christ. And so that was what chapter one was all about. And then chapter two, we learn, is that uh, this idea of the Crete church needing to live differently than the society that they were in. Uh, Paul was trying to help them understand uh, what does a Crete, uh, Cretan Christian look like? And so that was a whole new way of life for them to understand. And so he's calling them to live differently and to allow God to, to uh, again, transform their life, but understand that he's then going to use their transformed life to be agents of transformation wherever they are. And so now the circle is, is widening a bit, right? He's now starting to care for those people around them. And now we're going to learn a little bit more as the circle kind of continues to widen into chapter 3. And this is, what it, or this is kind of what it starts with, is this, this, these two verses. It says, uh, remind the people to be subject to rulers and authorities, to be obedient, to be ready to do whatever is good, to slander no one, to be peaceable, considerate, and always be gentle towards everyone. What Paul is saying here, uh, to borrow a tagline from Imago Church, our, our, our daughter church, is to, that we as Christians, we as the Christian church, are called to be good news to the city wherever we're at, 
Uh, we are called to be good news to them, that we, re- we should be a blessing to wherever we're at, the, the city that we reside, the, the place where our church is at. Wherever we are, they should be blessed and happy that we're there. Uh, and so that's part of what uh, this, these verses are saying. And, and this kind of goes against this idea of this revolutionary Christianity idea that we as Christians should be, you know, taking over. We should be dominating the, the government. We should take over things. Uh, and uh, this was a popular idea, especially in Jesus's time. Uh, you know, there was a lot of misconceptions of what the Messiah would be like. Uh, many people at that time, many of the, uh, the Jews thought that what uh, the Messiah would be would be a conquering king, would come in and conquer uh, the Roman Empire and, and restate Israel as the, the main kingdom. And that would show the world that, that God is God and, and that Israel is, uh, you know, the chosen people. I mean, even the disciples of Jesus, after he had died and rose again, asked Jesus this question in Acts 1, verse 6, when they say, then they gathered the disciples around him and asked him, Lord, are you at this time going to restore the kingdom of Israel? So they were still confused. What is the kingdom of God? They didn't quite understand what that meant to be a part of the kingdom of God. And granted, this was before Pentecost. This was before the, the Holy Spirit being poured out on them uh, generously. And so um, the problem with the kingdom of God is that it's not a place. It's not some place that we can go visit. It's not like a, a place that has walls and buildings and statues and, and all these things that we can point to and say, there it is. Instead, it, it's a people. It's us. What it's crazy is that where, where Jesus and where God builds his kingdom is in our lives. We are the kingdom of God. Wherever we are, there the kingdom of God also is. And so the kingdom of God is not this place that we can point to. It's a people group. It's, it's a movement. It's the citizens of God. And then wherever they are, there too the kingdom of God is. That just is crazy to me that, that God would go so all in with his people and say, that's, that's where I'm building my kingdom. On Jesus and what he had done for them from, from his death and his resurrection, Jesus himself establishes that ability to become a citizens of the kingdom of God. And now we get to live out that, that citizenship. It's crazy to me. And that's kind of what we talked about in chapter 2 a little bit of Titus, that we are called to now represent the kingdom of God. We are called to represent Christ in wherever we do, whatever we say, that we are those representations of who God is. And then Paul continues on after that um, in verses 4 through 11. Uh, we're we're going to read those, and we're going to see something happen here uh, through these verses, uh, because uh, all, all beforehand, it's all been focused on this like individual growth. You know, you call out elders, you call out the person to, to grow, you call people to live differently, the older men, the younger men, the older women, the younger women, the slaves. He called each people group, and it's kind of been about the individual. But Paul's language is going to change here a little bit in chapter 3, where he's going to stop talking so much about the individuals in the Crete church, and he's going to talk corporately to the Christian church of Crete. He's going to talk about us, we. You're going to see language like that. 
And so this is what it says. It says, at one time, we too were foolish, disobedient, deceived, and enslaved by all kinds of passions and pleasures. We lived in malice and envy, being hated and hating one another. I love this because Paul is always going to remind us how messed up we were before Jesus. He's never going to let us, you know, forget that. Not just because we're supposed to carry some kind of burden or, or self-hatred or some kind of pity on ourselves. But he always wants us to, rem- to remember who did the saving. Whose fault is it that we get to live this blessed life now? It's not because of us. It's not because we are so great. And I think the reason that Paul brings this up so often is because, remember, he is a very religious man. He comes from a very religious background. And part of religion, many times, is pride. Those two things go hand in hand, that I can earn my faith. I can earn my way. And so Paul is going to constantly battle that. No, it's not you. you. You kill that pride. Do not let that creep up in you. It's not about you. It's about what Jesus did for you and through you. It's all about him and not about us. And so he's going to remind us, you know, without Jesus, we're junk. We're terrible. We look at the world and we can, we can cast judgment on them and say, man, they are so confused, full of fear and hatred. And he said, you know what? So were we. So every time that we look and we see differences, we praise God, not ourselves. We say, God, thank you so much that you're the one working in my life. The fact that I don't have so much hate, so much fear, or any of those things in my life is evidence that you are working in my life and that you are transforming me. You are changing me. Glory is not mine, God. It is all yours. And that's why Paul continues to bring this up in so many of his different letters. But he continues, and he's going to say this. He says, but when the kindness and love of God our Savior appeared, he saved us, not because of the righteous things we had done, But because of his mercy, he saved us through the washing and rebirth and renewal of the Holy Spirit, whom he poured out on us generously through Jesus Christ, our Savior, so that having been justified by his grace, we might be heirs having the hope of eternal life. This is a trustworthy saying, and I want you to stress these things so that those who have trusted in God may be careful to devote themselves to doing what is good. These things are excellent and profitable for everyone. Did you notice who's doing all the work there? Did you notice who's doing everything? It says that, that God is the one who's showing us kindness and love. He is the one who is saving us because of his mercy. He is the one who pours himself into our lives and his church generously so that we can live justified by his grace. Now we are heirs. That means sons and daughters of God, so that we can do good things in his name. This term keeps coming up, good things, to do good. And I think it's funny because that feels so loose, right? Chapter 1 and chapter chapter 2, we had all kinds of lists that we threw up on the, the board here or on the projectors more so of like how we ought to live. Like change these things about yourself. Let God, you know, kind of do some work in your life. But then now that it's like, okay, you're, you're letting God work in your life. You're growing, you're maturing. Now do good. You're like, where's my list, Paul? Come on. Like give me, give me some direction. What things do you mean by good? Because that's so loose. Give me some directions because there's so much out there to do. 
And the only thing that he really gives us is at verse 14, where he kind of defines it a little bit more, uh, where he says, Our people must learn to devote themselves to doing what is good here in order to provide for urgent needs. Okay, that, that narrows it a little bit. And uh, not live unproductive lives. That's still wide open. There's so much room to still play there. Like, what, what are we supposed to do with that? Well, I think the answer is in the assumption of who the audience is. Remember, now he's talking now to the Crete church, to the Christians. And he said in verse 5 and 6 that, he, that God had poured out the Holy Spirit on us generously. Generously. Paul is speaking to people assuming that they are connected with the Holy Spirit. That the Holy Spirit is the one who can open their eyes to the needs around them, open their hearts to where they need to be serving, and to direct the church to, to go and serve where they need to serve. I think that's why he leaves it wide open and says, do good. I, I, in my life, I have to say that there are so many more times where I have to choose between the good things that are out there to do. And I have sat across many of young emerging adults who are, are, are struggling with this, this question of, well, what, what good things should I do? I mean, I, I just, there's so much out there. Do, what, what does God want for me? He, what is he calling to me? I, can't, I don't quite know. Should I go on a mission trip? Should I just serve at the local church? Should I... Should I help out like at reaching higher or should I, should I go to the care pregnancy center? Like should, what, what good thing does God want me to do? And so often I think the answer is just yes. Go. Go do good things. Like I, I don't think that we're going to get to heaven and, and, and God's going to look at us and he's going to be like, you know what? You were busy feeding the homeless. Well, I wanted you to teach kids how to read at reaching higher. You missed it. I, I just, I've, based upon my knowledge of the Bible and in and his, and his heart, I don't think God's going to be like that when we get to heaven. Like, you missed it. Uh, no, I think he's going to be like, you did good things. You have blessings. Like, let's, let's cheerlead the party. You know, you're here. My, my son, my daughter, you, you, you got it. I think God opens up the doors for us to be able to do good things. And when we look at Genesis, we understand that God loves when his creation is creative. We see that when uh, he gets Adam and he, he shows them all the animals that he had created and he asks them to name them. It shows that God has a heart that loves when his creation creates, when, he acts, when we act like him, when we co-create with him. And I think that same gift is given back to us here. It's redeemed in a sense where we now get to be a part of his good works. He defines what good is. And he says that when, when one person walks up to Jesus and he says, good teacher, and he says, you call me good, but only God is good. So we can understand that God is the one who's going to give us that understanding, that enlightenment of doing good things in his name. So really, it's just going out there. As, as what, is, what do you open your eyes to? What, is he, what are you seeing that, that maybe you can be a part of? Uh, what, what needs are there around you? And, and honestly, just pick one. Sometimes we, we, we elevate it so high that, like, I don't know exactly where he's calling me. Well, on your way to figuring out, do good things. Do good works. And again, we go back to what Paul was saying. Not so that we can be saved. Not so that we can earn our way to heaven. But because God has already saved us and we are living transformed life. And now we can serve out of the overflow of love that he has given us. 
That is what the Bible constantly calls us to do, to serve, to do good things in God's name. And if you want to feel a little beat up, go to James, because he says it just a little bit meaner than everyone else. Titus uh, chapter 3, verses 9 through 11, Paul writes this. He says, But avoid foolish conversations and genealogies and arguments and quarrels about the law, because these are unprofitable and useless. Warn a divisive person once, and then warn them a second time after that. Have nothing to do with them. You may be sure that such a person is warped and sinful and are self-condemned. Paul is is addressing this problem that happens when we get stuck in debates. When we get stuck in those moments when we're, we're just trying to win an argument. And I, I, I maybe some of you have seen this happen in, before, but, uh, but I want to be cautious because sometimes we can read this and think, oh, so I just have to go with the flow. I, I can't raise an objection to when I see uh, maybe the church going a certain direction that I don't agree with or, or a leader doing something that I'm not sure about or just someone around me. Do, do I not raise a question? No, you do. I mean, we talked about that earlier, right, in chapter 2 about the fact that anything that is preached or taught in the church should come from a biblical stance should come from the Bible alone. It's not just you know, something I thought of or something I saw on Facebook, but it should come from the Bible alone if it's being preached and taught within the church especially. So it's not like we just kind of have to accept and hope that everything's going the right direction. No, we are called to bring those things. The problem is, is when we start to want to win the argument instead of win the person. When we stop caring about the person right in front of us and start worrying too much about the fact that I want to be right at all costs and I will destroy anyone who gets in my path. I think all of us have maybe seen this online, right? On Facebook or wherever, uh, Twitter, any of those places where we see just arguments building on top of each other. And maybe you've been a part of one of those conversations where they just get toxic fast. And, you, and I, I'll see those, uh, those posts many times and, and I think to myself, man, if we could just sit these two people in the room, it would be a completely different conversation, like, I have family members who, who love Jesus, and I, I love them, uh, but the way that they talk online, I'm like, what is going on? I've never heard you talk like that, and that, that aggressive nature, just that uncaringness for the person you're talking to right now. It blows me away sometimes, that the way that we can disregard the people. And, but I have to admit that I've done the same thing. You know, reading the, this, this uh, scripture brings up a story, and I, maybe I've shared it before, but I think it's bearing worth, uh, worth sharing again more so. Uh, part of what I used to get to do is I would go on to college campuses, and I'd get to share, uh, you know, more uh, biblical standpoints on, you know, certain controversial issues. Uh, and so one of the times I got to go on uh, COS's campus, and I had a table with a question on it. And this question, of course, was to stir up conversation and we could uh, have a good, you know, good conversation. And so I was talking to this young lady and she had her group of friends around her. And, they, you know, she was kind of the one main one I was talking to. And she had just shared her viewpoint. And, and then I then just shared my viewpoint, which showed some major flaws in her thinking about why she was wrong on this issue. And I knew I had won the argument uh, that we were just having, the debate that we were having, because her friend group all went, oh, which of course by junior high rules means I definitely just won the debate. 
which would have been great in junior high, but we were on a college campus. And so all that did was shut her down. I saw her face just kind of went down and just kind of nod, and then she walked away. I had won the argument. I had won the debate, but I had lost the person. Any other time I had come on to COS's campus and set up a table, I would see her walk by and never want to talk to me because I was not a safe person to have a conversation with. I didn't get to speak into her life ever again. And obviously I hope that maybe she chewed on a little bit of what we talked about and came to know Jesus a little bit more and, and uh, some of the ideas behind that, but I don't know because I had lost that ability to talk to her. In that same way, I think that Paul is warning us that when we are just focused on winning debates and arguments, that can sometimes cause division within the church and within our own hearts and relationships that we are called to keep. They were trying to be people of peace and to care for one another. And so when there's disagreement, you don't hide that away. No, you don't, you don't shut it out and just be like, well, I guess I just got to be, you know, okay with this and just go with the flow. No, you can bring it up, but, but make sure you're loving the person in front of you as well and caring for them. I think that's what Paul is calling us to do, to care for one another. In the same way, I think that uh, Paul is also warning us of this toxic division that happens so much in our society to not allow that to take place here, that we would be unified so that we can help each other grow in our relationship with God, that we can continue to grow and, and be ready to do good works for God under, under the lordship of God. This means the idea of doing what is good is not always just what is out there um, you know, in society, helping the poor, uh, you know, feeding uh, the, the homeless, you know, all, all those things. The, the, the helping people is not just out there, it's also in here, in the church. We want to help each other grow and mature. And so part of that is not being divisive, but, but calling each other to grow and mature and, and to be there for one another. And so when you think of doing good, don't just think out there, although we are called to be outside these four walls but also think of how you can serve within the church as well, how you can minister to people, help them grow, help them understand who God is. You know, it makes me think of actually when we come to this idea of VBS, uh, our bottom line uh, for our last day was you can live for God by loving others. So I think in that same way for us, we are called to love people for God's sake, to do good works for God's sake, to live for God by loving other people. It's so simple that a kid can understand it, and it's hard for us to then live it out after that, obviously. But that's what we're called to do. So I have my question. Each, each of these weeks, I've kind of left you with a question, and so I want to do that one last time. And so here's my question for you guys. What good works are you doing in your, with your life because of Jesus? Where can you point to and say, yeah, I'm doing this because God is alive and well in my heart and in my mind. He is transforming me, and because of him, I'm serving in this way, whether that's outside these walls or inside these walls. And, I, and my hope is as we go through this last song, which we're going to do in one more VBS song, because, I mean, going to uh, where I've seen God work in some amazing ways, our, our youth have just blown me away. 
uh, of their ability to go with the flow, to, to willing to, to serve even out of their comfort zone. You heard Paige earlier say, I didn't want this group, but God did something amazing. And I got to see that in so many other people's lives uh, of people who said, I don't know, this seems really intimidating. This is really outside of my comfort zone. And yet they stepped into it and God did some amazing things in each of those teens' life. And so I've just been so proud to see them grow and mature. And this is after two weeks of them getting poured into. So it's just great to see that, that flow of getting poured into and growing yourself and now sharing that with other people. And so where is that in your life? Where are you serving? Because God is alive and well in your heart and mind and life. Let's pray. And I'm going to invite the kids up to sing, us, or sing with us one more, one more song. God, I thank you so much for the book of Titus for how you've called us to mature and grow in you, that you first worked on us, our hearts, and you saved us thanks to your work, Jesus Christ, on that cross. And now you are working in our lives to transform us to be a new creation and that we are now called to be influencers wherever you call us, to influence society, to our community and our neighbors, to be a blessing to them. And now, God, help us to identify where you're, you're opening our eyes to see where we can do good things in people's lives. Thank you that you open that door and you leave it wide open to, to, to be creative in that, to, to have some fun and to have joy in, the, in your work, God, that it's not just a burden or, or something that we're sad about or, or frustrated, but it is a good, joyful thing. God, just, I just think of VBS, how much joy and fun we got to have while sharing your good news with kids. Help us each to find that place in our life where we can point to and say, God, because of you, I get to do this good thing. And God, if we're missing that spot in our life, maybe we have a question mark there, God, that you would help us to identify that. And God, we know that there are many things to be done and that the workers are few. So help each person to find that place that, that they can get plugged into and grow because of that. We thank you so much for how you grow us, how you love us, and you've cared for us. And it's in your name we pray. Amen.